You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. All right, so I don't know if y'all know this, but Christmas is tomorrow. You're familiar with this? Which means all of your presents are wrapped. <laughs> Which means all of your presents are wrapped. Um, and uh, you got your stocking stuff ready. I mean, you guys are set. The trees are trimmed. We're dialed in. We're ready for tomorrow, right? It's, yes. Ron's ready. Right? I'm ready. I've been ready forever. I love Christmas, right? This is one of my favorite holidays. I am the official uh, Christmas wrapping person in my, uh, my house. I like to deck them all out and make them look cool. I like presents. I like giving presents. I like getting presents. That's always really awesome. Um, and so Christmas is a fun time of year, and it's a time where a lot of us really look forward to. We look forward to getting gifts, obviously, a lot of us do. I mean, I don't know if there's people in here that just hate getting stuff. Let me know. I'll redirect your family um, to someone that will love it. Uh, I also really love giving gifts, and I think probably a lot of us in here can relate. We love giving gifts, and it's so fun to see people receive what you give them, right? That's kind of a fun part to see them unwrap and their face and their smiles and kids and all that stuff. And a lot of the presents, particularly tomorrow, that are going to get unwrapped are going to be things that are really, really special and are really treasured gifts. And people will take them to heart and they, they may even become like kind of part of your uh, family heirloom collection of like, this was the thing that I got on the Christmas from the, you know, right? Like one of those gifts. But we also all know that there are a lot of gifts that will be given that people don't remember very long, right? Uh, For those of us that are parents, we've given a lot of things to our kids to watch them play with them for a day, maybe two. By three, they couldn't remember where they left it. By four, it's been long gone. The batteries are dead. It's, It's history. A week later, it's broken, right? Like in the box it came in is cooler than the gift. Right? We've all had some of those gifts where you're so excited for it, but then when you get it, it's like, eh, it wasn't as, after I played with it for a minute, it wasn't as fun as I thought it was going to be, right? And I think that's sort of similar to the way uh, we kind of uh, do life a lot in so many different ways. Like in life, there's so many times where we really look forward to something. We get our eyes set on something, some particular goal or achievement or thing. Like, like we, we can't wait to get that new car or the dream vehicle or the, the kind of the salary increase or at a certain level of lifestyle that we'd imagined we would hit one day or uh, you name it, right? Like a certain piece of clothing that you always had your heart set on or uh, stuff, right? Like we have our heart set on these things. And then there are times when we get what we thought we wanted and we find out that it's not all that fulfilling. Like it sort of leaves you wanting. And it got me thinking a little bit about what's it going to be like in our journey to God? You guys know we've been going on this Journey to God series, and so for the last probably 15 weeks, we have been kind of on a trip together as a church, kind of um, symbolically walking in the footsteps of our ancestors, uh, learning about the songs of ascent, these 15 psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, and these are psalms that God's people sung as they traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate at the festivals there multiple times a year. They would sing these psalms as they ascended 
to Jerusalem. And so we've been unpacking those and learning about them. And everything was pointed towards one thing, arriving in Jerusalem, like arriving to worship God, like getting to God. And for us, like symbolically as Christians, as believers, like we're on this journey getting to know God. And at one, at some point, like, are we going to arrive? And when we get there, what's it going to be like? Is it going to be like so many other things in our life where we had our heart set on it? We had a, uh, the bar set here and we get there and it's like, ah, after a couple of days, it's just not what I expected. Are we going to be there and wonder if it's going to be fulfilling, if it's going to be lasting, if it's going to hold us over, right? What's it going to be like when we actually get to Jerusalem, so to speak, when we get to know God, when we get close to God? Is it going to be everything we were hoping for? And, and enter Psalm 134. Psalm 134 is a psalm where the psalmist is giving us a glimpse, like we get this little sliver of a look at what it could be like when God's people get to Jerusalem, when God's people get to know God, when we collectively arrive at the house of God to worship, what what might it be like? Will it be all we were hoping for? Well, I want to read it to you. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about it. It's uh, Psalm 134. It's going to be up on the screen. It's also in your sermon notes that were handed out to you. It goes like this. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. It doesn't take too long to start to see that there's sort of a key word and a key kind of main idea in this psalm. The key word, if you had to pick one out, is bless. And the main idea or the theme that the psalmist is kind of weaving through here is this idea of this uh, imagery of like, bless God, bless God, God blesses us. Bless God, bless God, God blesses us. And in our Bibles, there's a, a two words in particular that uh, from Hebrew that get translated into English as the word blessed that we read in our Bibles. One of the words is uh, called ashur. You guys try that one? It's an easy one. Ashur. Ashur. All right? So that gets translated as blessed. Well, that word actually is, uh, sort of means when life is going really good, when everything is awesome. Like for us in our, in our everyday lives right now, in the modern uh, world we're living in, we would describe it like when we're good with God, when we're good with our friends, we're good with our family, our job's going right, everything, like the dog is happy every time he sees me. Like when you just get in those, one of those little pockets of life, where you're just like, man, every part of my life is just good. And, you're, and you say something like, I am so blessed. Like right now, I'm just so blessed. What you're saying is right now, I'm so assured. I'm so assured. I'm blessed. So that word always talks about people. It never talks about God. There's a different word that talks about God. The other word in Hebrew that gets translated as blessed is this word. It's a little bit harder to say, and it's kind of fun. Berakah. Can you roll your R's? If you can't roll your R's, you're out of luck on this one. All right? Berakah. It's pretty fun, huh? All right? Berakah talks about 
what God does to us and what God does among us. God berakas us. He blesses us individually and as he dwells among us. Like we get this imagery that God blesses us. That word berakah is the word in the psalm. That's the blessing that the psalmist is talking about. This is a psalm that is going like, God does this. God does this. To us, with us, among us. This is how God is. He blesses us. God made a covenant with us, right? God uh, pours out his life for us. God shares his goodness with us. Like we get God's spirit literally with us and among us. This is what leads the psalmist to write these words. God berkaz us, right? As we've been going through this series, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing um, is wrestling with rewriting the psalm in modern English, like, or just for my own self. Like, if I could take that psalm and just rewrite it, what might it sound like? And just having some fun with that. And I think maybe a modern twist on Psalm 134 might sound like this. All you Christians here in the house of God tonight, let's bless God with our worship. Let's praise God. Uh, let's uh, praise God with our praise. Let's uh, bless God with our hands lifted high in celebration. Our God blesses us. And so we respond to God with blessings that follow blessings. May our blessings ever echo his all the days of our lives. This is what we have to look forward to as we set out on this adventure to know God. Each and every day is a a new leg in the journey. And as we set out to get to know God, we will find that God doesn't disappoint. God doesn't leave us wanting more. He doesn't leave us longing for something else. Instead, as we really truly get to know God, what we do is we bless. We worship. We praise God. We celebrate God with our hands lifted high. That's what happens when we truly get to know God. When we learn that that God gets down on his knees at our level and, and, and lives among us, shares himself with us. And and this is a time of year where we really focus on that part in particular. We focus on the birth of Christ, rightly so. It is an event in history worthy of celebration, worthy of remembrance. But here's the thing. Celebrating the birth of Christ is only exciting if you know the end of the story, if you actually know what happens with Christ's life, if you know what happens at the end, then his birth is really exciting. And to think about the day, the, the, the inception of this event and this story, that, that's pretty amazing. When we think about what happened at the end, that we know that Christ went to the cross for us, that, that God entered the world as a baby tiny, vulnerable, risky. I just had my, uh, I didn't personally, I got to say that the right way. Um, My oldest son and his wife just had a baby, which makes granddaughter number two for me. Um, Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, And 
they were over and, and just getting to hold the baby at one week old. And she is so tiny. Just like you just forget. Every time you hold a newborn, you're always just like, whoa, I forgot. They're so small and so vulnerable. And to hold that, that little baby and to think that Christ came like that. Talk about a risk. Talk about vulnerable. Talk about anything could happen. Defenseless. But we know how the story ends, right? And so the, the birth is worth celebrating because we know how the story ends. It ends with Christ going to the cross, like willing to pay the ultimate price for us, willing to be humbled, willing to be humiliated, willing to be punished all the way unto death. It, it ends with Christ hanging in there. The thing about knowing how the story ends is because is the same for Jesus. He knew how the story ended. And him knowing carried him through those times when he didn't want really to go through with the plan. He agonized over following through with the plan. But, but the difference maker was that he knew God. He knew how it was going to play out. And he knew what was at stake. And his trust for the Father to not let the story end in death and his love for us led him to follow through with the plan. That led to his resurrection and ascension and it makes a way for us to have a a relationship with God. And it's one of those things where knowing how something ends makes a whole big difference in how we live day to day. We could look at this and go, well, it's easy to see how Jesus followed through and stuck with it and hung in there at the hard times because Jesus was, well, Jesus. And, and he knew God, right? Intimately knew God. He knew how it was going to play out. And, and, and in fact, we even know that Jesus told his disciples that he and God were the same, that if you knew him, you knew the Father. Right? And so it's easy to look at it and kind of go, well, of course Jesus followed through, like he's God. What about people that don't know God? How do they stick with it? How do they hang in there? How do they endure and persevere? How do they make the right choices and go the right path and do the right thing? Like, what about the people that don't know God? What about people that maybe know God a little bit, but they're not really 100% sure? Like maybe they think there's a higher power. Maybe things couldn't have just happened all by accident. It's, there's just too much evidence to ignore the fact that somehow this was designed, that we didn't just stumble here on accident, but they still don't quite understand what that higher power is. Like when those people are wrestling with things, when they're wrestling with how does the story end? What is, if there is a God, what's, what's in it for me? Like how is this going to play out? If I followed him, what would I expect? How, how, how would it go? How do those people answer? How do those people know what to expect from God? Now here's the cool thing. What if I told you there was a way to know? What if I told you there was a way to know what God has in store for you. 
What if I told you there was a way to know what God has in store for the people that you love and care about? For your dad, for your mom. What if you could know what God has in store for your kids? And you see, there is. There is a way. And the cool thing is, is in God's word, we can discover it because we're not the first people to ask that question. What's God, what is God's plan? What's his big agenda? What does he have in store for people? We're not the first people to ask that question. People before us wrestled with that. In fact, when Jesus was alive, he did some things that caught the attention of a lot of the religious leaders of the day. He ate with and hung out with all kinds of people. He hung out with uh, people who were sinful people that made horrible choices and did things that church people didn't really like. And he went and had dinner with them. And went into their house and he spent time with them. With people that were religious, he spent time with people that had no religion. He spent time with people that had pagan religions, that worshipped stuff that was totally opposite of God. They were religious, it just wasn't God. He spent time with them. He spent time with godly people, with ungodly people, wealthy people, poor people, young people, men, women, kids, right? And as he did this, he caught the attention oftentimes of the Pharisees and religious leaders of the church of the day. And as they would watch him, they were trying to always figure out, they were worried that he was going to lead people away from God, that he was going to blaspheme or do something that was anti-God, and that's where their concerns began, and it sort of slid out of control from there. And so as they're watching him and watching what he's doing, what they're trying to figure out is, is he going to steer people away? Is he going to steer people wrong? What's his plan? What's his agenda? What is he trying to accomplish here, right? They're trying to figure that out. And then Jesus does what Jesus often did, is he answered them with some stories. And, and I'm sharing all of this with you because the way Jesus answered them is going to unlock some clues for you or hold some answers for you to your questions about what does God have in store for you? What does God have in store for the people that you care about and the people that you love? The way Jesus tells these stories reveals God's agenda and what you could expect if you chose to follow God. So, it goes a little bit like this. Jesus is um, going to tell these, uh, the Pharisees some stories, and the stories are very deliberately directed at answering their questions, like, what's your big agenda? That's essentially what they're asking him. What are you trying to do here? What's your big agenda? And he's like, let me tell you a story. And so I, I want to just share those stories with you real quick. Okay, so if you're doing anything, if you've got notes in your hand or anything like that, I want you to just set your stuff down and, and just lean in like you're getting close to a campfire you're trying to get warm to, right? You following me? Like it's really cold behind you, but it's warm in front. And so I want you to lean in for a little campfire story. And so I just want you to just really tune in. If it helps you to focus, to just close your eyes, then close your eyes, right? Because Jesus goes like this. He tells him a story. He says, um, 
in order to answer your question, essentially, is what he's saying, in order to help you understand where I'm coming from and what I'm all about, uh, let me tell you a story. It's like this. There was a shepherd who had a lot of sheep, and one of his sheep was, uh, got, uh, got out and got away and got lost. And, and he says that sheep went off running, and the shepherd actually left the other sheep. And he went and searched for the lost sheep. And he searched and searched. And when he found that lost sheep, he was so excited and so overjoyed. He literally grabbed it up, picked it up, and threw it over his shoulders. And he ran back to the rest of the sheep. He couldn't wait to return it back to the flock. And when he got back to the other 99 sheep that had stayed there, he set this sheep down. He was so excited. He couldn't wait to tell all his friends that he found the sheep that was lost. And so he literally rallied his friends together and they began to celebrate that he had found one of his lost sheep. And, and Jesus told these leaders, he said, it's the same way in heaven. When one sinner repents, there is this sort of celebration in heaven. He said, let me tell you a different story. This is a story of a, an older lady that had some pretty important coins and she had misplaced one of them. And she went to look at them and she knew that she had 10, but she counted and there were nine. And she started to search for the one that she had lost. And then it, she started to look and look. And the more she looked, the more she realized it was really lost. Because she tore the house apart, up one side, down the other, going everywhere looking for this lost coin. And then finally, bam, there it was. And she found that lost coin and she was so excited when she found it. She jumped up and down and, and her neighbors must have wondered what was going on in there. And she invited them all over and she said, you guys are not going to believe this. You know how long I've been looking for this. I found it. And she threw a celebration. There was like joy and excitement and, and just smiles all around. And, and Jesus said, in the same way, there is celebrating by the angels in heaven when one sinner repents. When somebody tells God they've messed up and asked for forgiveness, there is a party, there is celebrating, there is joy in heaven. He says, I want to tell you one more story, and this story isn't about sheep or coins. This one's going to hit a little closer to home. It's about a family. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with families. In this family, there's two boys. And the younger boy tells the dad, I, I really want my inheritance now. I'm ready to go make it big. And so he goes to the dad, dad and he pleads for his inheritance. And the, and the father makes whatever arrangements he has to in order to cash out the son early, even before he dies. He gives him what he would have had coming after he had died. And the younger brother takes the money and not long after, he heads off for a distant land and he starts to party it up. He runs through the money pretty quick. And about the time he starts to run out of money, there is a, a famine in the land and it becomes really difficult to find food and really difficult to find work. And, and he is in a pretty dire situation, so much so that he finally finds a pig farmer that will hire him on to help feed slop to the pigs. He's so hungry. His stomach is growling. 
There's knots winding up in it. He's almost delirious. He's so hungry because as he's feeding the pigs, he's looking at the junky, yucky food that the pigs are eating, and it's starting to look like a T-bone steak, like he's so hungry. They won't even share the pig food with him, though. And then it's like one of those light bulb moments in his life. A little thing pops off in his memory banks, and he goes, you know, back at my father's farm, there's some hired hands there that work for him, and every one of them, that even just the hired help, I've never seen any of them go hungry like I am now. Like they have enough to eat. He's like, I've been such a fool. And he thinks to himself, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against my dad. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to tell my father that I have blown it. I I blew it before God. I blew it before him. I'm going to apologize and I'm going to ask him if at least I could just be a hired hand for him. Because that's so much better than what's happening to me right now. And so he does just that. He sets out for home. And as he goes on his way home, he's getting closer and closer to home. And as he gets to the drive, the long drive where the dad uh, uh, keeps an eye out in case his son ever might return home. And one day, what does he see? His young son is walking back up the driveway. Well, the dad just can't believe his eyes and he's overjoyed and he picks up and runs to meet the younger son and he goes to run to meet the younger son and as the son gets him he he tries to start getting his apology out he tries to get his words out you got to understand father i've i've sinned against god i've sinned against you i've i've really made it and and the dad just smothers him with a hug he wraps his arms around him and he says it's it's all's forgiven you were lost but now you're found. He's just, he calls for his servants and he says, go get a robe. Put a robe on him. Like, we, we, this is my son. And put a ring on his finger. He says, go and kill that fattened calf. My son who was dead is alive and we are going to throw a celebration. There is going to be a barbecue today. And they begin to party. And, well, the older brother had been out in the fields working and as he gets through the end of the day, he comes closer to the house and he can hear this ruckus going on. It sounds like there's something fun happening. And so he calls to one of the servants and he says, what's going on? What happened? Why is everybody so noisy and excited? And he says, oh, your, your younger brother who was lost, he's returned home. He's been found. And your dad killed the fattened calf and he's throwing a party for him. And the older brother immediately is frustrated. He doesn't want to go in. Well, the dad goes out to try and reason with them. And he says, you know, what's the problem? Why don't you come in? Your brother who was dead is alive. Like we thought he would never come home. And yet here he is. You should come and celebrate with us. And he says, yeah, celebrate for him. Went and spent all your, his money on prostitutes and wine and drinking and terrible stuff. And you're throwing a party for him. I've been here all the time. I worked every day and you've never done anything like that for me. the father says to him see the thing you need to understand is that you've been here with me every day that's true but maybe what you forget is everything I have is always yours your younger brother was lost and now he's back we're going to barbecue right me too. I love kids from Tennessee. I love barbecue. You know who else does? Jesus. 
That's the story that he tells the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And, and remember, he's trying to help them understand, like, what's his agenda? What's, what, what's he out to do? What is he trying to accomplish? That story is told so that they know, like, what could you expect of God? What does God have in store for you? Those are three stories that help you understand who God is and what he has in store for you. What God has in store for you personally, what God has in store for the people that you love, for the people that you care about, for the people that you work with. God has in mind for them, the minute they're ready to just square up with him and say, okay, I'm done doing this thing on my own. I, I want to put my faith in, in God. I, like, I, I don't quite understand it all, but I'm ready to follow God. Isn't that the way most people start with God? It's faith. They start to admit their mistakes. They start to ask God for forgiveness. And God says when that happens, there is a party like a shepherd who found a lost sheep, like an old lady who found a lost coin, like a father who found a son who he thought was dead. Like those are stories to help you wrap your brain around how excited God is when someone who doesn't know him wants to get to know him. That's what you can expect from the Lord. That's what God has in store for you and for anybody you know that will turn their heart towards him. And you see, when we know the end of the story, when we know what, what comes near the end, it's a lot easier to live today. It's a lot easier to make decisions about who do we share our faith with or do we be bold or who do we pray for or who do we continue to care about or are we willing to leave our little group and go look for lost sheep and lost coins and lost sons? Or, or are we just stuck in the holy huddle? Like, like, how are we willing to live? When we know the end, it changes the way we live today. We celebrate this time of year, the birth of Christ, because we know the end. We celebrate Jesus coming, God to come and live and be amongst us and with us and for us because we know that his birth, it's like the first note in an amazing, glorious symphony of redemption. It's like, bing, the very beginning of an amazing song. And if all we knew was the first note, it doesn't sound all that awesome. It's like, okay, cool. Some guy was born. But we know that's not the story. There's so much more to the song. And so we celebrate the beginning. So tonight, we're going to finish here in just a minute with worship, and the team's going to come back up here. And the thing is, with this psalm, it talks about blessing the Lord. Like, like this is what it looks like when we get to know God. We, we bless God, God blesses us. We bless God, God blesses us. One of the things it talks about in here is, is with worship and praise and, and lifting our holy hands in celebration. Now, you may be here tonight and, and maybe you've never sung in church. I, did, I was there for a long time. I went to church for a long time and never sang a word because to me, I didn't get it and it was weird. 
I was like, I don't know. I like, seems weird. I didn't sing at concerts either. I thought that was weird, right? Like I was just super self-conscious, I guess. And I just didn't understand. But as I've grown over the years and got to know God, it's easy for me to sing to a God I know and I love, and I know where the end goes, right? And so maybe for you tonight, it's time to stretch. It's time to sing. It's time to like walk out this psalm and and bless God with your praise. Let the words of this song come across your lips, right? Maybe for some of you, um, tonight's the night where you're going to get out of your comfort zone at church and you're going to raise your hands and you're going to actually like offer praise to God with your physical motions. I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but most all of us do it. We do it while we're driving. We do it while we're watching sports, while we're at a WSU game, right? Like if something goes amazing, we're like, woohoo! We don't even think about it. Our hands just automatically go up in the air. Something terrible happens and we spill our coffee in the car. We're like, ah, and we punch the roof like we're frustrated. We don't even have to think. It's like just an unnatural, you know, like just instinct thing. Our body moves to our feelings. But all of a sudden what happens is we get in church and we're like, right? What would happen if the Cougars were sold out over here? We've got 35,000 fans in the stand. Everything is going awesome. It is the game of their life. And everybody just stands there like this with their hands in their pockets. And it's like, sweet, awesome, right? The Cougars would be like, what happened in Pullman? Is there an alien invasion? Like, why isn't anybody excited? Right? We have no problem being excited for stuff like that, but we get in church and all of a sudden it feels weird. I'm telling you guys, worship is not about your feelings. Your relationship with God is not about your feelings. If you're waiting for your feelings, you're going to be waiting a while and they're fickle and they change every five minutes. Right? Act like you praise God. Like Just tell your body, hey, I'm going to praise God. And so guess what? Left hand, go up. Let's praise. Right hand, go up. Let's praise. Turn your candle on. Let's get with it. Right? Your feelings will follow. They'll catch up. You just got to show them where to go. Right? So we're going to worship. We're going to spend some time praising and worshiping our God. And you can light your candles up. Get up on your feet. And uh, let's sing a song that I think all of us probably know the words to. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.